0: Hello and welcome to Hawkeye Nation. This is Hawkcast, your Iowa football, basketball, and recruiting podcast brought to you by GoIowaAwesome and Rivals.com. I'm your recruiting analyst and host, Elliot Clough at Elliot Clough on Twitter, joined as always by Mr. Ross Binder, our managing editor of the site, and Adam Jacoby, publisher there at Iowa.rivals.com. Today, we're going over all of our preseason predictions and then handing out some season awards for 2023 maybe look ahead to 2024 a little bit with those awards as well. So going to be a fun one stick around. And if you're new to this YouTube page, to our show, hit that subscribe button, drop a like, drop a comment. Tell us did we miss any awards today? Where were we off in our preseason predictions even though we're uh, we're well aware didn't have all these injuries down on our bingo card. But Moving ahead to the episode. Also, if you're listening on Apple Pad- Podcast, Spotify, make sure you hit that subscribe button so you don't miss an episode. So let's go over these preseason predictions. We pretty much went over records, but also talked about some underrated players, who was going to lead the team in receptions, receiving, stuff like that. So we typically start off the pod with Adam. Go ahead, Adam. Uh, share with us what your preseason predictions were for, for record, and uh, we'll we'll go from there
1: them going 9 the season, I thought that they were going to lose one of the two games between uh, Wisconsin and Michigan State that little pocket, uh, or excuse me, between Penn State and Michigan State, that two-game pocket, and one between Wisconsin and Minnesota. That ended up being true. I thought that they were going to lose one more just because of randomness and because that's sort of how Kirk Ferentz teams operate, and I guess technically you could call that the Big Ten championship game, but uh, no, I, I had predicted them for nine and three, so they, they uh, exceeded my expectations at 10 and two in the regular season, and uh, I was, you know, I'm, I'm pretty proud of it, all things considered, even though none of us really could have predicted how Iowa got to that 10 and two. Uh, Elliot, what was your prediction? Or, uh, you know what, Ross, I want to hear from you, too. What was your prediction?
2: <clears throat> yeah I was also on nine wins um I remember before the season I, I just couldn't take myself to a 10 win prediction mainly because of the offense I wanted to see more from the offense uh you know improvement <laughs> from last season which <laughs> which we thought we thought last season was the historic rock bottom low for the offense uh and yet it was not and uh we were surprised uh, to find that the offense could actually be somewhat less productive than than it was, and yet, despite all that, Iowa obviously managed to win ten games in the regular season. So, uh, truly phenomenal accomplishment by uh, the defense, special teams, and, and then the offense for uh, you know pulling it all together and getting those ten wins. Um, and yeah, like I said, I, I was at nine and three. I had the same losses targeted that you did. Uh, that well that Penn State game, I did not have a good feeling about before the season. No one really did. Obviously, in the season, I think it went even worse than we imagined. Uh, it was just a really awful game. Uh, and then that Wisconsin-Minnesota uh, pocket, like you said, that was going to be a tough one. It was. Uh, and then I just figured, like you, that there would just be one more loss somewhere uh, in that schedule. And I mean, God, they played so many close games, so many one-score games. You don't have to work hard at all to, you know, flip one or two things in some of those games, and you could easily find a third loss. Um, but they didn't. You know, those, that's just hypothetical. They they won those games because their their close game mojo is is truly impressive under under Ference.
0: I immediately, more or less, had them at ten and two. I remember recording this pod. We went through each of the games and it's just like I think we were all on the same page. And I think almost everybody was on the same page of yeah, they're probably gonna lose the Penn State. Yeah. Where we're it's it's hope for the best, expect the worst going into Happy Valley, right? Or sorry. Right? Yeah, for fans. Yeah yeah, I had to think about that for a second. Sorry, guys. Um, so much for speaking and writing for a living. But in that regard, I think I was on the same page as adam and and Ross is that yeah, they're gonna go out and drop a game. That's just it's kind of what they do. That's their mo, and they'll bounce back, get to a big ten championship, probably lose. Now, we didn't know who they were going to face in the Big Ten championship. It was between those three, obviously, Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State. Ended up being Michigan. Didn't exactly expect it to be a pretty game. Spoiler alert, it wasn't. And that's exactly what happened. Here we are. They're at 10-3 uh, now after that one, heading into their bowl game against Tennessee in in just a couple weeks now which, uh, of course, Adam and I will be headed to Orlando for. Very excited for that. Uh, Orlando in the middle of January, or sorry, in the beginning of January? Yes, please. Uh, Very much excited for that one. But ultimately, to get back to the predictions, if we were at a point where... or Sorry, if we were at the point, if we were at midseason where Cade McNamara goes down and it's Deacon Hill time and we know McNamara is not coming back. That 10 and 2 prediction does not stand. I'll tell you that right now. That does not stand whatsoever. They exceeded expectations on a multitude of levels. Somehow the offense probably could have been worse. I mean, Adam, you said it before we started recording. Deacon Hill could have gone one for 10 instead of three for 10, like he did however many times. So he, he could have, those. Tip balls that he had the most turnover-worthy plays in all of college football. A lot of those could have been interceptions. A lot of them could have had more fumbles. The offense could have been worse, believe it or not. There were moments where we were sitting there, where I was sitting there, and as a person who tries not to swear on Twitter, had to swear on Twitter because of that unbelievable throw that Deacon had to the corner of the end zone to Addison Ostranga against Rutgers. So there were positive moments in all the hell that was the 2023 season. There were a lot of positive moments. There were a lot of uh, guys that stepped up in the absence of players that went in the first round of the NFL draft. Like this defense became elite as the season went along. They were good to start. There were some issues. Nick Jackson, obviously, doing a lot of coverage, still figuring out what he was doing and his assignment. Jay Higgins taking over right away and doing an incredible job at that Mike linebacker spot. Of course, we're going to talk more about that. Which we, we go into season awards at the in a few minutes, actually. But this season was difficult for a lot of reasons. But for them to continue to step up, continue to win games, that is such a testament. And we've talked about this before. It's a testament to the leadership on the field. It's a testament to Kirk Ferentz. Like this season was special in a lot of ways for how difficult it was to watch this team, to see them react the way they did to Brian Ferentz after they won the Big Ten Championship, to see how they responded after he was determined to be let go by Beth Getz. I mean, there were so many different things that were positive, encouraging, and fun to watch about this weird, crazy, just absolute, insanity that was the 2023 season I said 10 and 2 I was right that's okay that's podcast thanks for tuning in just kidding (laughs) but Ross or sorry uh Adam it looked like you were going to chime in there
1: yeah I was the the only thing that I was going to add to that was one it was an absolutely insane season and and even by standards by big Ten by modern standards And it was, it was funny to me that, you know, coaches always look at distractions as the ultimate in like poison for your program, the whole, you know, we want to avoid distractions where, and, and, and they use it as cover for all sorts of shenanigans, like, oh, we didn't put out a depth chart because we'd want to avoid distractions. Like a, a coach will tell you that with a straight face, even though it's nonsense, And yet you look at the Big Ten championship, which team from each division created more like distractions for its team? Like which staffs from each division created more distractions than Iowa's and Michigan's? And here they were like in the Big Ten championship. So I I thought it was weird and, and, and funny in a way that like, oh, it it didn't actually stop them from succeeding and winning their division and and beating most, if not all of their rivals. Uh, But it's a testament to the players to get past these distractions that honestly, both staffs created for them. And uh, it's a leadership thing. It is a program culture thing. It's, but ultimately, you know, Harbaugh for (laughs) his myriad faults and, his self-inflicted problems you know he said you know this was about the players this is about the team the team the team etc and i think you could say the same thing about iowa this was a player-led uh you know exhibition of leadership and focus and keeping their um you know making sure that their goals were still intact over the course of the season i thought
0: yeah I think, it's, I, th- I think you nailed it, Adam. Um, I, I think that this team I, – I just really feel the need to reiterate something that I said a few weeks ago, and, and I think truthfully, I don't know that we're necessarily going to give him his flowers, especially in the season awards coming up here soon, but I think so much of it – and we've heard Kirk reference it a little bit here and there too – comes down to Deacon Hill. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily the on-field performance, obviously. Like I said, there were some bright spots. But this dude came out every week, faced the media, unlike a certain previous Heisman Trophy winner, Caleb Williams at USC, who ducked the media repeatedly this season, which, as a member of the media, I'm going to say it right now, that's bullshit. Deacon Hill didn't do that bullshit. Deacon Hill came out spoke to us every week, every week, took the tough questions, stood up for his guys, set, and he, he, he took responsibility for himself, said, I got to eat that one regularly, which for good reason, made some bad throws, right? But mm-hmm. for as much as Kirk didn't want to or didn't put Deacon Hill out there, you know, throw him to the wolves, so to speak, Deacon kind of did that himself and took on the responsibility of those bad throws said, okay, that's mine. That's mine to fix, or I got to, got to make plays for these guys. To me, this 10 and two season, obviously you point to the defense, you point to Jay Higgins, you point to Sebastian Castro, you point to all these guys who did so many great things, Logan Lee on the defensive side of the ball, to Addison Ostranga stepping up at tight end, the Caleb Brown coming in. But this to me is a testament to the team of, of course, to Kirk, of course, but to Deacon Hill, truly, like I mean that sincerely. And and, and Kirk said it uh, in reference to Deacon. He's like, the guys just respond to him. They just respond to him. And it's tough not to. I mean, we've said it as well on the pod. It's like when Deontay entered the portal, Deontay Vines entered the portal, he's a guy who's tough to not root for. And it's the same thing mm-hmm. for Deacon. He's just a, a guy you like being around. He's, he's great media availability. Uh, you can tell his teammates love him. He went on that Instagram live with Caleb Brown and Caleb Johnson that, that yeah. you watched at Adam and to have that gravitas, that personality that does a lot for you as a quarterback to get guys to rally around you and to want to win for you and perform for you. It's, it's, it's different. It takes that team to that ability of staying together and succeeding when a lot of other teams fall apart. So Here's to you, Deacon Hill, with not a beer because he's LDS. So underrated players of the season is something we talked about going in as well. Ross and I did that, uh, a preview pod at, at one point in time. And a couple guys that I named that we went through, Seth Anderson, Jamari Harris, Joe Evans, YA Black. and And I guess, well, we can kind of skip over this because we're doing an award for it. So let's just jump into awards. We can hit that. We're doing an unsung hero award later on in in the award. So a big reason for you to stick around. We're going to start off with season MVPs, offense, defense and special teams. And as we usually do, starting with Adam, we'll start with Ross here. Ross, who are your season MVPs, offense, defense and then special teams?
2: Uh, Well, why don't we just talk about offense, then we can do the others, I think, but my sure. offensive MVP was LaShawn Williams. Um, I think it's probably for a lack of substantial options on that side of the ball, as much as anything. Like they're just, you know, the the passing game was a real struggle. Um, you know, we, we talked about the preseason predictions, and like no, <clears throat> before the season, if you told me that Iowa's you know preseason starters at quarterback, running back, for. Uh, uh, and tight end top two tight ends would all miss substantial time this season uh, I would not have picked nine wins I would not have thought 10 wins was not you know remote possibility and yet you know we know all, all those guys missed time a lot of time and I was still found a way to win uh, nine, 10 games and on the offensive side of the ball I think LaShawn Williams emergence was huge he was the guy that <clears throat> was penciled into the number two spot uh, to start the season. Kind of fell into the number three spot as the season got underway, behind both uh, Caleb Johnson and uh, Jazz Patterson. And you know, through a few injuries and some other you know opportunities, he got himself into the the starting job, and he excelled. Like he had a great, you know, the really memorable touchdown run against Wisconsin. Uh, he busted off some other really big runs in that in this season uh, right before the game winning kick against Nebraska is another one Uh, he was just a really you know phenomenal uh, tremendous uh, season for him and the Iowa offense needed you know someone to step up and he absolutely did this year I thought
1: yeah I I Uh, think my winner would be LeSean too I do also want to just shout out Eric All because he had been pretty much the focal point of the offense between when uh, Deacon Hill stepped in for Cade McNamara and when he got basically injured at Camp Randall. He had, you know, that was early in the game at Wisconsin and he was already putting up some pretty substantial numbers, you know, offense leading numbers. And, you know, we, we talk about the job that Deacon Hill had in front of him to take over that offense to, you know, basically be thrown to the wolves and, uh, you know, take his lumps when he had to. And the fact that he had all around as sort of his safety outlet uh, as a reliable number one receiver that he could trust in those first few weeks, I think was tremendously helpful for Hill and for the offense just to weather that early storm and, and get him to the point where he could feel confident lining up under center and he could, you know, have a reason to believe that he could win against tough opponents and and in tough environments like Camp Randall. So uh shout out to Eric all. I, you know, again. I think Lee Sean is the right choice for offensive MVP. And I'm not even sure it's that close, but one of the reasons that it's that close is that all got injured. And so I would say at the very least, Eric all is my first half season MVP. And I, I just want to make sure that he got a little bit of recognition there.
0: Yeah. I, I think that. Yeah. Lee Sean is the only choice, right? Like, yeah, I, I, I don't know who you go to that was as consistently productive as Lee Sean was throughout the season. Obviously it was at the Iowa state game where he didn't like play like at all. I think that, I think it was that game, um, came back against Western Michigan was super productive. Uh, had a touchdown on the ground and through the air, I think on that screen pass that he took. And I think Deontay vines had a really big block down the field. If I'm remembering correctly, um, obviously Caleb Johnson gets hurt doesn't play a few games Jazz Patterson gets hurt Cade McNamara goes down Luke Lachey goes down Eric all goes down clearly you're not getting a ton of productive production from your wide receivers uh, until Caleb Brown later on in the season didn't have his first catch against against Eric. Excuse, excuse me until he, they played Northwestern and he wasn't even wearing his traditional number so like I, I think Lee Sean is the is the only choice, right? Like I, I I mean, unless you want to go with an offensive lineman, but I wouldn't exactly go with an offensive lineman. So I think er, referencing Eric All is really important because he was the safety valve for for uh, Deacon early on in the season, especially when when Cade went down. But obviously when Cade went down, but it could have been Luke Lachey, could have been Caleb Johnson, could have been. But you know, could have, would have, should have. Uh, that'll only do so much for you, but let's go defensive MVP, Ross.
2: Yeah. Defensive MVP. Now that's a tough one because you have a lot of good options there. Um, because that was again, another phenomenal defense put together by, by Phil Parker. Um, you know, I don't, there's a few ways you could go here. Um, I'm going to go with Jay Higgins because I think he was the engine of that defense. Um, I mean, just a, a spectacular amount of tackles, which, you know, part of that is the way the Iowa defense is run. Um, it, you know, tackles flow to the linebacker positions. Obviously the defense was on the field a lot this year because of offensive struggles. So, so one hell of a sure tack. Uh, he made, just a lot of big plays. And just from an organizational standpoint, you know, the Mike linebacker gets the rest of the defense uh, set up and, and gets everything put together and gets everyone moving in the right direction. Higgins did a phenomenal job of that. I mean, this was his first year as a starter. He obviously watched and learned from Jack Campbell the last couple of years, but it's a, it's another thing when you're actually thrown in there and you have to make the plays yourself and make the calls yourself. And, he did an incredible job on a defense that had, you know, just the smallest margin of error possible because of that offense. You know, the offense was not going to give them much help, so the defense had to be phenomenal, and they were phenomenal. And Higgins was a huge part of that. Uh, what about you, Adam?
1: Yeah, I, I agree. There are so many candidates to choose from from a production standpoint. Higgins is the MVP. And and like you mentioned, not only is his job to make tackles, but as the Mike, he's making calls for the defense, especially for that front seven. He is the vocal leader of that defense. He's, you know, he has to replace everything that left with Jack Campbell. And the coaches will tell you that, well, you know, it's not quite that simple, et cetera. There is, you know, he doesn't have to be Jack Campbell to be successful at the mic. But again, a whole lot of stuff walked out that door with Jack on his way to Detroit. And the fact that Jay kept this defense on the same page, was as productive as he was. And on top of all that, you know, also a guy that meets with the media every day, also a guy that talks about you know, holds himself accountable as well as his teammates, right? Sets that example for the program, for the defense, for the linebacker room. I thought he did an incredible job of that this year. One other person that I'll shout out while I acknowledge that my defensive MVP is Jay Higgins, uh, I'll shout out Logan Lee because I think a big part of Iowa's resilience is that player-led culture. And every time that we talk to Logan, Elliot, you know, how often did we hear about don't give up? How often did we hear about, you know, noses down? We we keep our eyes on the goals and, um, you know, the the focus that he brought, the accountability that he offered to his teammates. And again, we're talking about a heck of a player too. Uh productive, did his job even in ways that don't show up on the stat sheet. You know, you talk about the uh the Hawkeye culture, the uh everything that um you know I was able to sell to these kids, to these recruits, etc. And such a big part of it is having upperclassmen like Logan Lee in that locker room, enforcing those program standards and and making sure that this is a sort of player-led culture as opposed to a coach-led culture. And so I I think he's got a bright, bright future either as a defensive lineman in the league, if he's going to get big enough, or as a coach, you know, you, you just listen to the guy, and you and you want to listen more. You want to hear more from him, and I, I think that he's got a bright future in football, one way or the other. Elliot, what do you think?
0: It's going to be awful boring when we have unanimous awards across the board. I think I'm going to say Jay Higgins here. <laughs> it's got to be most productive. Held the defense together. I mean, to step in for what Jack Campbell did, just to reiterate points that that you guys made, and to do that in the on-field and off-the-field way that he did in terms of leadership, taking Nick Jackson under his wing, so to speak, even though they're Nick Jackson's older than he is uh i'm just really impressed with the way jay has handled himself and has continued to push the defense forward after what was an incredible year he steps in from that leo spot to to be in the mic there was conversation about nick jackson being the mic uh coming Mm -hmm. in and nope jay held it down and there wasn't any internal issues with that really impressed with with him as a football player and as a person at this point uh, speaks to Roy Higgins and his uh, wife's and and their ability to to parent. Wife, his wife, not multiple, just one. His wife, uh, their ability to to parent. Uh, and uh, obviously, Roy more than just an entertaining personality on on Twitter. You got to shout out Cooper DeGene and and Sebastian Castro here too. I mean, Cooper would be right in there if he hadn't gotten hurt. Sebastian was. Among the best that we've seen play that cash position Uh, that uh, he was just phenomenal. And like, there are a few guys I would not want to be hit by. There are a lot of guys I would not like to be hit by on the Iowa football team. Sebastian might be number one. That dude is a freaking missile. The difference between him now and two, three years ago is he's a missile, but he knows where he's going. It's controlled chaos, right? Mm-hmm. Previously, it was just going where he thought he should go, and it wasn't right. Now he knows, and he's able to show off that strength, that speed, that hitting ability, and damn near defensive MVP for me on this one. Now, we'll move on to uh, special teams here. Um, oh, by the way, uh, before we do that, All-American status for both uh, Cooper and and for Jay Higgins here. Got to shout them out um, all American status clo- coming in on unanimous for Cooper DeJean and for, I'm assuming our, our next award winner for special teams, MVP, Tory Taylor, uh, Donald Trump's favorite college football player, even though he might not know that he's from a different country, Tory Taylor, best punter in the country, Ray guy, award winner, hands down, all American, not cl- I mean, Like true. Stevens struggled at points this year. Marshall meter had that incredible kick. Cooper Dejean had what should have been two punt returns for a touchdown and giving Iowa its 11th win on the year, but it's Torrey Taylor. The Best punter in the country for the brand, all that stuff. Iowa legend, Joe Burrow treatment, like, give him his flowers. He's earned every single bit of it. Torrey Taylor is a legend in Iowa City, and he is my special team's MVP for 2023.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to disagree with one word of that. I mean, he he's on the verge of set of breaking a record that is 85 years old, which is the uh, most punting yards in a season like that has that record has stood since 1938, I believe. Um, and obviously part of that is down to the offense. They give him a lot of opportunities, whatever, but you know, it's also because he's really, really, really good at what he does. And, and, He's a phenomenal punter. Um, He's very consistent. And, you know, Iowa talks all the time about complimentary football. And he is such a big part of that. You know, his ability to flip the field and help Iowa get better field position and, you know, work with the defense um, and hopefully set up the offense to have a little bit easier time trying to score. He's a huge part of that. And his kicks uh, do such an incredible job of of setting Iowa up and helping uh, this team score points. It's, it's remarkable. And uh, yeah. And I mean, off the season, off the field, he's just a really good dude. Uh, You know, just such a deserving Ray guy award winner. Just, you know, if anybody else won that award, it was going to be such an incredible injustice because Taylor has been just so phenomenal this year. Uh, Adam, what do you got?
1: Well, we're, we're talking about, from a production standpoint one of the best punters in the history of college football that's just from a Don't. standpoint goat what he actually accomplished on the field the way that iowa was able to use him as a weapon uh, i wrote this after he won the ray guy award you can directly directly tie 58 points that iowa scored Two punts that Tory Taylor kicked. Like within three plays of one of Tory's punts pinning an opponent deep. Iowa had either scored or taken the punt back uh, deep into the territory, had had forced a turnover within the five or within like the 10 yard line. Like those are plays that the Iowa defense made immediately. After a Tory Taylor punt inside the 20. And if you even blur those lines a little bit, you can get that point total up to the 90s. But some of it's just sort of wishy washy in a fight I don't want to have. So I just said 58. But the point is, Iowa scored so many points off of Tory Taylor punts that you can't, like, Iowa fans only gets so mad when it's fourth and three inside the, you know, opponent's territory, you know, at the, at the 41 yard line. And Torrey Taylor walks out there. If it's any normal punter, Hawkeye fans are upset, but it's Tori, And Hawkeye fans are excited because they know that he's going to put that ball deep. He's going to do something special. Like it's, And he's got Cooper Dejean as the gunner most of the time who's able to clean up everything that's coming down. And before that, it was Scary Terry Roberts. Like, Iowa had two guys who ended up being legendary gunners. How many other programs in college football over the last 10 years, especially, can name one guy who got popular off of being a gunner? You know, (laughs) that is...
0: As of a minute ago. As of a minute ago, Tory Taylor is a unanimous all first team all America.
1: Well deserved well deserved. deserved. yeah. <laughs> uh, I'll just say, I really I really thought at this point about four weeks ago, I thought it would be Tori and Cooper sharing this award because gosh, Cooper was doing things from a returner standpoint that were on par with Tori as a punter. And making plays out of absolutely nothing, but he had that Minnesota one taken away from him on what remains one of the most egregious oversteps of referee authority that we've ever seen, full stop. That rule just needs to be changed. And and the Big Ten doesn't need to debase itself by saying, well, if you look from space, it's clearly, right, that shouldn't have happened. And the injury... Took away the end of his year. And at the end of the day, the best ability is availability. And Tori always had that. So I would say, Gilbert
0: to be- also, also named unanimous All Amer- first team All America. Sorry.
1: Yeah. Had to yeah, interrupt and, you for that and, one, Adam. But I am, please interrupt me for news like that every single time. So again, richly deserved for both of them. And they both earned it on special teams. I really, really wish I that Cooper was healthy enough and, and didn't have anything sort of taken away from him. It's the same way that Tori had nothing taken away from him this year. And I wish they could be co-MVPs, but you got to look at the whole body of work. And Tori's mine, but shout out to Cooper because he had an amazing year as a returner and it, it really felt like he was and. I understand the gravity of what I'm saying here, guys. He was every bit as good of a punt returner as Tim Dwight was. Every bit as good. And you could make an argument that some of his returns were better than Tim's best. You could make that argument.
0: The one that didn't count in particular. Yeah. Quotes didn't count. Quotes from me should have counted. (laughs) I'll go on the record and say that should have counted. I don't even care. Put it out there. (laughs) Media. take! <laughs> I know I'm going to get swarmed by the paparazzi <laughs> for that one. I don't even care now to move on. Um, as we're, we're talking a little bit more about awards. We'll talk a little bit more generally uh, about these just so we can get through all of them. Cause we've got some, some pretty good categories and some pretty good candidates for these awards as well. Maybe we'll come to a consensus on these as well. We'll we will, we will see, but <clears throat> first one, that will hit is Rookie of the Year, and we've kind of divvied it up into two categories here. There's only two freshmen that you can point to and say that's probably the guy, true freshman anyway. One being John Nestor, the second being Zach Ortworth. Zach Ortworth, I think he only had did he have a catch in the Big Ten Championship game because he had one drop. I know that he had the big 54 yard catch against Rutgers. That if Deacon hit him in stride, could have been a touchdown. John Nestor, phenomenal on special teams this year, may very well step in and play next year on the defense. I'm a big John Nestor guy. If you told me that he was going to be our, uh, r- our rookie of the year, so to speak, for the offense, or excuse me, for, for the Hawkeyes in this 2023 class, we all would have called you crazy. Ben Keeter is the guy that we were all saying, and, and he ended up redshirting this year, which is fine, especially considering he's a dual sport athlete. And then you look at redshirt freshmen, guys who didn't play much or at all last season and then stepped in in a big way this year. And you look at Deshaun Lee, Cohen Entringer, Jazz Patterson, maybe a few other guys in there. But to me, I'm going to go John Nestor for Rookie of the Year, True Freshman of the Year. And then you got to go Deshaun Lee for Redshirt Freshman, Rookie of the Year. Um, Any disagreement in that or any added points to make, Ross, Adam?
2: Yeah, I mean I'm not gonna disagree with you in the least on the true freshman. There just really weren't many candidates at all to speak of there. Uh Richard Freshman, you know, I, I think the Deshaun Lee pick's a really good one. Um, you know, I would just probably shout out uh Jazz Patterson too. He had uh early in the season, he had some really some good uh good games, good performances. Um but yeah, I think Deshaun Lee's a, a really solid pick there. Uh Adam, what is, what are you what are you thinking?
1: Yeah, Deshaun Lee is. Uh, I don't I don't want to say it's an easy choice necessarily, but in terms of what they put on that guy's plate, especially to basically begin the season uh with Jamari Harris serving that two game suspension for the gambling. And when Cooper Dejean is the cornerback on the other side of the field, here you are as a redshirt freshman, you know they're coming straight for you. And that's exactly what you know, those two teams did, they, they went straight at him and he was up to the challenge. And, uh, I'm sure from a defensive standpoint, like the other 10 guys on that defense, they see that and they're like, all right, we're good. Right. Like (laughs) there's, there is indeed no weak leak on this team. And that does such a great job for their, uh, confidence in each other, For their, um, you know, defense is an eleven-man operation, and uh, when they know that even the backup, even even a guy who's a redshirt freshman, um, that they can lean on him, that the defense or the opposing offense can target him, and it'll be fine. Okay, they can worry about their jobs, which is everything that we hear from coaches about what makes a successful defense is 11 guys doing their jobs, not trying to do too much and not like trying to make a play and and getting sloppy with their assignments. When you know that the backup cornerback, the guy who's (laughs) getting throws that they don't want to throw at Coop, when you know that he's taking care of his job, you don't have to change anything about your assignment. And that makes it so much easier for the defense. So yeah, I, I think he's a walk in terms of the um redshirt freshman newcomer of the year and then yeah just not a whole lot to choose from in, in terms of the true freshman so nester yeah ortworth yeah i uh, you know ortworth was pressed into a little bit more in terms of like the all right this is you, you these are the big boy minutes these are big boy snaps you're in camp randall and he did it, but you saw him improve as the season went along too and and it was nice that um Estrenga and Stiliano's came back from injuries. Serious injuries were minor enough that Iowa didn't have to lean too much on Ordworth. and were able to let him, you know, pick his spots, play to his strengths a little bit more. And you saw him really thrive in that like number three tight end role. And I, I think that we'll see him make those strides as his Hawkeye career goes along. But yeah, I'm, I'm in pretty well lockstep with you guys on this too.
0: Out of transfer of the year. Of which I'll go right back to Adam. I think these are this is a really easy choice, Adam. Who do you have? Maybe make me look stupid here because I really think there's only one option, and uh, I'll divulge who that is once you tell me who your choice is.
1: Honestly, there's a few choices here that that you could go with, but in terms of the guys who are able to stay healthy. That is a <laughs> tragically big part of this one. You got to look at Nick Jackson, right? Uh, it, he was pressed right into the starting lineup of a defense like this. It's a, uh, a terminology that is new to him, you know, brand new coordinator. And you really don't have a whole lot of margin for error. And that's so tough to just walk straight into. And yet, Jackson did his job great and was super productive, right alongside Jay Higgins. And the fact that Higgins and Jackson got along so well, so quickly, had to be a huge part of why he was able to be productive so quickly, right? There there was no static to, to get him involved in the program. You know, he when we talked to him, he looks and sounds like he's been in Iowa City this whole time. And, and I'm not really sure how to quantify that, right? It's it's just like he fit in so well to the culture, to the production, to the standard of play. I mean, he just seems like a Hawkeye. And Elliot, I really hope that's who you're referring to.
0: <laughs> yes, yes, can confirm Nick Jackson. Only choice. I mean, could have been Eric all. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. injury. Maybe, I mean, could I, I Kane, you can't. If yeah, not, for yeah. Right, right. Could have been potentially Rusty Feth, but I think we needed more from him early on in the year than, but he d- did definitely gradually get better and became really, really good at that left guard spot. Really important for the offensive line, a piece of consistency when there was a lot of injuries all over the place may very well could have been Dejon Parker if that injury never happened in, in the spring. So, yeah. um, I, I think Caleb Brown starts to get in that conversation later on in the year, but when you only have however many games of production, um, though he did play well in those games and he did become a focal point for the offense later on, um, I think that's a conversation to be had next year, though he won't be considered a transfer necessarily anymore. Um, at least in, in in this in the terms of this this award. Um, it's gotta be Nick Jackson, just based on what he did, especially in the absence of Cooper and how much the offer excuse me, the defense made an emphasis on getting to the quarterback and he was used in blitz packages a lot. Should have had that interception in the Big Ten championship. That could have been huge. Um But overall, just phenomenal, a phenomenal year. There's been some conversation about because of the fact, and I'm referencing Hawkeye of the Storm here, Corey Brada, had a conversation with Brad Heinrichs, and and we spoke about this on The Voice of College Football recently, that uh, they're trying to seek an extra year of eligibility for Jackson because of that shooting that happened in Virginia, um, and with, when he was still part of the football team, they granted those seniors an extra year of eligibility because they canceled the remainder of the season. So they are seeking a, um, an extra year of eligibility, awful circumstances, obviously tragedy, potentially, uh, another year for Nick Jackson. We'll see how that, that shakes out. But, um, that is, that is a possibility at this rate. We, we don't know the, the end, uh, the end result for that quite yet, Ross transfer of the year.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm in agreement with you guys. It's Jackson. Like he is the best case scenario, I think, for you know a transfer. You know, you bring in someone from an, a another program like that. He hits the ground running from day one. Um, you know, has a couple hiccups maybe early in the season, but you know gets over those real fast was really good. And by the end of the season, I mean, he was just playing at such a high level. Uh, He, like Adam said, he looked like he, you know, Adam referenced the fact that he sounded like an Iowa guy that had been here for years. He played like an Iowa guy that had been in Phil Parker's defense for several years. And he hadn't been here, you know, he got here last spring. So like, you know, he, he picked it up really fast, was really good, was really productive. Uh, You know, there's nothing more you can ask for from a transfer than what Nick Jackson gave you, I think. Uh, You know, you mentioned Eric all too. It would have been really interesting if all hadn't gotten hurt because the way he was, he was tracking in terms of production, especially after Lachey went down, you know, he was obviously going to be Deacon's uh, number one, number two, and number three targets in that passing game. So if he stays healthy, he would have had a pretty, pretty big year, I think, in terms of offensive production. And then you'd have an interesting, I think, debate between him and Jackson, but In a different world that we lived in and uh we live in now. And uh in in that world, it's gotta be Jackson. He was he was tremendous. So Adam, you had something.
1: Yeah, there there was one thing that you said that um I I just wanted to um put a pin in real quick. You, You mentioned that Nick Jackson's season was sort of a best case scenario for a transfer, and I think that is absolutely right. And uh it it also sort of highlights how much of a like not best case scenario, so many of Iowa's transfers had. And yet they still had really impactful seasons too, right? But you, Kate goes down, all goes down. Beth takes a while to get into that rotation. Caleb Brown really takes a while to get into that rotation and and sort of, I I don't want to say gets helped out by Deontay getting that injury, but gets pressed into action as opposed to you know just being elevated into it all on his own. But yeah, there there was no situation where you're like, ah, you know, I feel bad for Nick Jackson. Ah, you know, if only something else had like there, there, there's nothing to regret there. He had just a knockdown, drag out, successful, productive season. And uh that is exactly, you're right, Ross, exactly what you would want from a transfer. Just want to say that. That's all.
0: Now we are coming up on the time where I gotta head out for the uh, the men's basketball media availability that's coming up at eleven thirty. I need to get out of here by like ten thirty five at the latest. So we'll try to go through these fairly quickly as we're wrapping up this episode of Hotcast. Again, make sure that you hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening, so you do not miss an episode. You can always tune in on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Google Play. Spotify is Google Play going away? I heard that somewhere. We'll say Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, subscribe, like, drop a comment. Who'd we miss on this list of awards? Now, let's let's go to most improved and I think we're all on the same page here as well between Sebastian Castro, LeSean Williams. My choice is going to be Castro. LeSean had those boom plays right those big plays where some of them just didn't end in a touchdown and I think he'd have a little bit more of an edge if he had that finishing speed here for me it's Sebastian Castro at the end of the day just because it's that consistent game winning plays that he made almost every week if not every week his ability to read and react and boom get to the ball and that pick against Wisconsin that did seal it that's that it's got to be Castro for me
1: yeah, mean yeah, I
2: agree, to agree with you. Go ahead, Ross. <laughs> Sorry, I, was, I agree with you, Elliot. Um, I think you mentioned when talking about Castro earlier in our pod that uh, you know he was kind of a missile before, but a missile that didn't always know where it was going exactly. And I think that's what we see from Castro this season. It's a Castro who knows exactly where he's going, exactly where he needs to be. Uh, you know, the cliche is that you know the game slows down. Uh, but that's really what it felt like for Castro. Like he he was able to read the game so well this year and know where he needed to be, um, and obviously his tremendous physical gifts, you know, give him the ability to to make all those plays, to you know get behind the line of scrimmage and get that tackle, to get his you know get to the spot where the ball is going to be and make a deflection or or get a pick, um, and yet just to deliver those just incredible, tremendous, uh, insane hits that just Ugh, I feel bad for anybody that's on the receiving end of those, but uh, yeah, I mean, he went from good to just, you know, really tremendous in this season. So Adam, take it away.
1: Yeah. I, I promise we didn't all agree to all agree on all of these when we were setting this up, but yeah, <laughs> it, it's, I mean, it really does have to be Castro and I think he is going to be the next in the uh, Iowa cash uh, to NFL pipeline. And, Gosh, you, when we talk about guys like Imani Hooker, Dane Belton, uh, Geno Stone, those are guys who are not only in the NFL but thriving in the NFL. And there's when you watch Castro play, he's that same type of player. He's that same type of productive, disruptive. Uh, you know, knows what his assignments are, plays them tremendously. Uh, you know, you look at the Iowa State pick six that he had, and they were manipulating the quarterback and not the other way around the as soon as that ball left uh the QB's hands and I'm, I'm already blanking on his name it's not Hunter Deckers it's uh oh Rocco uh Brett or Bat. um as soon as that ball left Rocco's hands Castro was already breaking on it he knew where that ball was going before the quarterback did and that is so much studying that is so much preparation, and that is so much just being able to make that play physically and, and knowing where to be, and yeah, that is improvement that the coaches said really started during the Music City Bowl prep last season, where he started to really, really put it together, uh, continued through the offseason, and you see it now here, and boy, he he really deserved better than the, what was it, second team? All Big Ten from the media, honorable mention from the coaches. Never made any sense to me. We're we're talking about a guy who was instrumental in the success of this great Iowa defense, and he's I think to me a no-brainer for most improved.
0: Now, to the unsung hero award. This one's going to be fun. Lots of options for this one. To me, it comes down to five, six, but ultimately it's Quinn Schulte kind of a secondary Mike linebacker for that defense coming in from Cedar Rapids Xavier. He was a, uh, a walk on ultimately did get a scholarship. He told uh, a story about him receiving that scholarship. You know how we see these videos of like it's post game guy makes a play. And then the coach is like scholarship and the f- team freaks out. Oh. Why? Right. Yeah. Didn't happen with Quinn. Kirk came over to him in practice and said, so we're going to put you on scholarship. And that was it <laughs> classic of just the exact opposite of what everybody else does um but Quinn had a couple opportunities for some picks this year that I would love to see him uh come down with I've enjoyed my interactions with Quinn he's another kid that's that's easy to root for especially being a former walk-on he's got that former quarterback connection like Cooper and like Sebastian and um I, I, he was really important he is. The safety valve for the defense because that's what that that's what that free safety position is at Iowa so you wait back you're the last line of defense you make the tackle you prevent the big play he did that all season Quinn Schulte he's, he's not going to be a guy that racks up a ton of stats he's not a guy that you necessarily want to rack up a ton of stats unless he's able to get a pick on an overthrow or something like that which he did have nearly returned it for an interception right was that against Illinois
1: Towards He's the end of the
0: season, sealer. right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, we, we were so, on the
0: field for that one. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I thought. So um it, it's Quinn for me. And and lot though there are a lot of options. I'll go to you here, Adam.
1: Yeah, I would I'll say Connor Colby and Connor is also sort of a stand-in for the offensive line as a whole, but I mean, gosh, you you talk about what sort of strides that the offensive line has made and Colby in particular, he is, uh, you know, he was sort of a ultra uh, steady presence on that line. And they really needed that. You think about two years ago when Michigan was playing at Iowa and Colby was a true freshman. And by the end of that game, Michigan was picking on him teeing off and he's giving up like sacks on consecutive plays. And that was the sort of performance that could really, demoralized kid and you know kirk mentioned after the game you know one of our kids you know wasn't having his best day out there the fans wanted colby sent out not a d1 kid right that the the reaction to him getting big boyed by michigan was not pretty keeps his nose to the grindstone keeps working hard and the offensive line ended up being the rock of consistency for the iowa offense this year And after the last two seasons, it's a little bit terrifying uh, from, you know, four fans. And yet you see what they did, and it's undeniably true. Like, this, the offense really could have been a whole lot worse if the line hadn't improved. So I'm just going to use Colby as uh, sort of like the A1 of that as sort of a stand-in for the line as a whole. But we saw such improvement from him. We've seen sort of that jump up in maturity from him, too, when we talked to him. But yeah, uh, I I the amount of improvement we've seen out of Colby and the line as a whole can't be understated. So I wanted to make sure that there was that shout-out too. Uh Ross, what did you think for most improved?
2: I mean, I, I I like your guys' picks. Um, like Elliot said, there's a lot of really good choices here. I'm gonna go with Ethan Herkitt. Uh yeah. what?
1: Sorry, I'm gonna I go was with Ethan correcting Hercut. myself.
2: <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna go with Ethan Hercut on the defensive line. Uh, just, you know, there were uh, a lot of good guys on the defensive line, a lot of guys that maybe bigger names, splashier plays. Although by the end of the season, Hercule was making some pretty splashy plays. I mean, he, he gets the interception, uh, against Nebraska that sets up the game winning kick. So, but, you know, just one of those that, you know, just does his job, finds a way to be in the right position to make the play, uh, just a really steady performer on that uh, very good Iowa defensive line. Uh, and a guy who I think has really just been making some really nice strides and, uh, you know, should be entering his best, best period in the program, which is exciting to think about.
0: A couple names that we can't forget here, Max Llewellyn, who did his job, not, maybe not make the huge splash plays like an Ethan Hercut this year, but Max Llewellyn stepping in at that other DN spot um ya black did make some big splash plays this year as well another dude who i would never want to be tackled by let alone landed on oh god that'd be an instant broken rib for me guaranteed with or without pads not even a thought last one that we didn't talk about pre-recording hayden large gotta be in that conversation linebacker or sorry linebacker (laughs) it's basically the same thing fullback for Iowa in a a position that is pretty much dead across college football. Eli Miller with an injury in in the spring. He steps in as a tight end transfer from uh, Dort, plays fullback, plays it well. Had some catches out of the backfield this year, which were impressive. Um, Next man in, we'll make this one quick because, again, there are a lot of options here. Addison Ostranga is probably mine. He was really good. Um, and I, I think he's considered the next, you know, in the line of, of great Iowa tight ends, just a five, five, three star out of high school for us. If I was around, I would have lobbied for at least a five, six or a five, seven. That's all I'm saying, but had some big blocks, had some big catches, eight targets, eight catches in, oh gosh, I want to say it was the Rutgers game as well. It, it might've been in a different one, but he was incredibly reliable given the circumstances with Deacon and, and with him. Ross, who's your guy?
2: Uh, I love the uh, Ostranga pick. Uh, I'm going to go with Entrigger, Cohen Entrigger on the defense. You know, you mentioned Ostranga kind of next in line for the, you know, Iowa tight end role. Uh, I think Entrigger might be next in line for the Iowa cash role. And uh, that's another, you know, very position with a really strong pedigree, strong history. Uh Trigger, you know, didn't get to play a ton on defense this year because the starters played so much, but, you know, had some good plays there. Uh, had some really good plays on, on special teams, though. You know, the one uh, towards the end of the season, uh, you know, there he, he misses the tackle, unfortunately, but then he, he gets up and then actually sprints back down the field and makes the tackle. Um, it's just, a, you know, a tremendous example of his athleticism, uh, his drive. Uh, And I I think there's really just big, big things coming for that guy in in this defense. Um, You know, the defensive backs, Phil Parker, uh, he does such a great job with them. And I I think Entregers, really, the sky's the limit for him. Adam, who you got?
1: Well, I've got two that I want to shout out, and they might be so obvious, (laughs) a whole lot to to throw into that but I I think on offense next man in Deacon Hill right like that could have gone so much worse and he didn't have a very consistently good season and and he'll be the first to tell you that but uh for the leadership that he brought to that position uh and and what really could have been a an outright disaster and yeah, the defense helped him with that lift absolutely but uh, I mean, we've we've mentioned it a few times here, the leadership that he brought in that situation where, I mean, there was a real question whether he was in, even in position to succeed at all. And, and for reasons that really didn't have anything to do with him or, uh, you know, the fact that he was able to step in, keep a little bit of stability uh, culture-wise in that offense uh, made a huge difference. And then we again another guy that we've sort of talked about here but Deshaun Lee stepping in for Jamari Harris and and another situation where it's a all right like straight into the deep end buddy and and he did a great job he was competitive he was a you know rep of everything that that Iowa defense stands for so uh, you really really have to shout out what he did and and you know sort of making sure that that defense didn't have an um, absolute egg delay in the first couple of weeks of the year. So got to mention both those guys.
0: Ross, I'll go right back to you here. It sounds like uh, you got your upside award in there rather than your next man in award. So uh, <laughs> that's okay. Who is your next yep. man in and, then, and next man in, I should have clarified it as well. Next man in is, is for the guys that stepped up when there were injuries. Um, and then we'll flip to our upside for, for Adam and I, um, Ross with his upside, Cohen Entringer, great pick. Very excited to see what he does for the defense next year. But who's your next man in award?
2: Uh, I'm going to go with Ostranga next man in. Uh, I think what he did for the offense when they needed weapons uh, was really clutch. He he was just excellent for Deacon in that second half of the season. I mean, you, you already said it, so just give me Ostranga also.
0: Then for for upside for me – couple names that that I want to reference. And upside, we're talking about guys who could potentially come in and play next year um, and and be really good. Maybe didn't see any time this year or did see a couple snaps, but we didn't really get to see a ton of them. They still have some development to to undertake. So to me, there were a few names that came to mind immediately, and it's John Nestor, Zach Ortworth, because of that Freshman of the Year award as well. But then I flip, and I think Ben Keeter, and I think – Cade Piper. Ben Keeter, because we don't know what's happening with that linebacker spot. Nick Jackson in particular, Jay Higgins, whether or not he's decided to lead for the lead for the NFL. And then, of course, in that Leo position, Kyler um, Fisher is moving on as well. So Ben Keeter, a redshirt freshman who could very well step up and play that linebacker spot next year. Cade Piper, left guard, is going to be open uh, more or less with with Rusty Feth and, and Nick DeYoung moving on. So Cade Piper, a guy who will definitely be able to step in and compete for that spot. And then lastly, Brian Allen, who was really good at Kids Day this last year. I would like to see him come in and and. Contribute at defensive end, especially with Joe Evans moving on um, and graduating. Adam, who are your uh, your upside awards going to this this uh, episode here?
1: Well, it's it's a little tough because I'm I'm going to pick a couple guys that are in uh, depth charts that are pretty well stacked ahead of them for 2024 as they're constructed right now. But uh, one, I'm going to say. Uh, Marco Linas, uh, the fact that he's already practicing with the twos on game days uh, as he's red shirting tells me that the offense or excuse me, that the coaching staff really has a lot of optimism about what his career trajectory is going to be. And you could really make the argument that when next season starts, you know, we might still see Linas practicing with the twos is, you know, if that off season. Uh, ends up being productive for him, and if he gets an offensive coordinator that, frankly, knows how to use him. And so a little bit of uncertainty there, but in terms of what Linus brings to that position, that dual-threat capability, that work that he's done, uh, even as a high schooler, I, I think that his upside is going to be huge, and he might be that ultra-productive quarterback that really sings in an Iowa offense. And then also... You know, talk about guys with guys in front of them, but Kamari Moulton, TJ Washington, that that pair of true freshman running backs, when we got to see them play, and again, they had just been in high school last year, they both made the most of their opportunities when they had them. Uh Kamari is more of that complete runner. Uh, TJ, more of the like just get the ball in space and watch something happen. I think they've got tremendous upside. And if there's anybody in that, um, you know, running back room who gets hurt next year, they're going to be even more prepared to step into that and make some production. Or you might even see one of them move to say slot receiver. Uh, and and that's just idle speculation. That's not Intel or anything like that. But you might see TJ Washington make that move just to get on the field because he's that athletic and you want to make sure you're getting your best 11 on that field one way or the other. So I, I think there's a lot of upside there. Um, Anybody else that
0: you've got? That's it for me, mostly because I got to go. But but also just because I think we got them all. I think we did a good job. If there's anybody that we missed here on this episode of Hotcast for Season Awards, make sure that you drop a comment on YouTube. Let us know. We're idiots. So – We're just idiots with microphones and cameras. So, well, I'll speak for myself. I'm an idiot. I'll I'll leave for us and Adam to make their self-description there. Uh, But uh, let us know. Let us know where we're stupid. Drop them in the comments. Uh, tell us who uh, we should we should have added to those awards. We appreciate you tuning into this episode of Hotcast, and uh, make sure that you hit that subscribe button so you don't miss an episode wherever you're listening. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube. Drop a like on YouTube as well it helps us out, and it makes us very happy. Leave that rate and review on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. That does help us out a lot as well. Get people listening, engaging with us, and engaging with you. Here on Hotcast. don't forget to head over to iowa.rivals.com backslash subscribe if you're not a subscriber yet as well do that there and uh, you get all the premium content from us on basketball football and recruiting on iowa.rivals.com for now i'm elliot cluff at elliot cluff on twitter joined by ross binder and adam jacoby for now we will see you next time